So I thought we would start at the top of the show talking about uh, some of the feedback I've received since the previous show. You'll remember that we talked about the Charter Commission and the need to replace vi- uh, basically all of them. They've been there too long. We need to replace all of them. Remember that? Yes, absolutely. And, and so Commissioner Jan Sandberg uh, tweeted in oh. to say, partway through your interesting conversation, one correction so far, Andy Kozak has been on the Charter Commission for about a decade. Before that, redistricting was handled quite differently and not by the commission, although I believe Andy Kozak was involved. Ages, I don't know. We talked a little bit about how old the Charter Commission is, and I apologize for that. Uh, And yeah, if I implied that Andy Kozak had been on the Charter Commission for uh, 50 years or 40 years, no, that was a reference to how long he'd been involved in the redistricting process. So I apologize for the error. Uh, Also, we got uh, feedback from a listener in St. Paul. Let me bring that up. You have listeners in St. Paul? It's amazing. Okay. Listener writes, hey, just listen to your recap episode. And I really liked it, except that you're so goddamn pessimistic. I actually (laughs) saw a lot to be hopeful for. Not only in St. Paul, but also in the Minneapolis election. And I hope that you don't succumb to pessimism in a way that diminishes the really good work you do. That's it. Well, that was directed clearly right at you. Of course. Yeah. And I said, thank you for listening. appreciate the feedback. I'm just getting my bearings as we enter a new era. Am I too pessimistic? What, what do you think, Taylor? No. I'm just the right amount of pessimistic. Yeah. I'm a realist. I think so. We're rolling. We're rolling. This is a real, real, real thing. Real, 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 real thing. None of you have the balls to stop. Stop this. We're in the wedge neighborhood right now, 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 right now. Okay, I'm going to introduce the show. This is the Wedge Live podcast. I'm your host, John Edwards, and my guest today is Josh Martin, co-host, maybe a guest. I bring him on as an expert. I'm not sure you are an expert, Josh, but tell us your credentials. Yeah, I would not describe myself as an expert uh, on this. Um, I believe um, one of your previous guests described themselves as an RCV enthusiast. And similarly, I would say I am a redistricting enthusiast. Um, So I have been uh, following um, a lot of the Charter Commission stuff for a long time, and I branched that out to redistricting since um, they also handle that. Um, So I've uh, followed all of their meetings um, and all of the various submissions in um, the redistricting portal and tracked um, the changes those make to the city. Um, And uh, in that, they've talked a lot about uh, the various rules and and things like that as well. So I followed that. Well, credentials don't matter here. What matters is I trust you. Uh, I trust you a lot. You watch this stuff. I'm not an expert either, but you watch enough meetings, you learn a few things. 
And so you're exactly the person I wanted to talk to about this stuff. So as you may have guessed, Minneapolis is in the middle of a redistricting process. It's going to go on for a couple of months. I should have brought up the schedule. Do you know when it ends? Is it March when it ends? Yeah, the final maps um, should be adopted in late March. And right now, the Charter Commission's redistricting group, which is made up of charter commissioners who are appointed by Hennepin County Judge, and uh, like community members who've been appointed to the redistricting group, they're all together uh, hashing out this initial draft map, which is going to be the subject of a public hearing tomorrow. And this episode is going to come out after the first public hearing, but there's going to be another, I think they're going to revise the map, do it again, have another public hearing, I mean, in December, and then at some future date, two, even two more public hearings. Do I have that correct? So there's there's going to be two public hearings on this map. Um, one, it, which is tomorrow, as you said, the other one's going to be in December. Um, and then, yes, then they will go back and revise the map based on the feedback they received. There will then be two more public hearings. And then based on that, they'll they'll make the final maps. Does the redistricting group, do you know if they're the ones who decide what the final map is? Or is it the charter commission who, only the charter commissioners who have the final say? So it is ultimately the charter commission. The redistricting group makes all decisions except for the final vote on adopting the final map. Um, That is just the charter commission. Um, It seems unlikely to me that there would be a a difference there because the charter commission makes up 15 out of the 24 members on the redistricting group. So it'd be a pretty unusual scenario where um, something would, would get changed at the last minute by the charter commission. Let's talk about why we're doing this. So, you know, there's redistricting for for Congress and state legislatures. Every 10 years, we get new census numbers and populations change, and we need to redraw boundaries so that uh, districts are roughly equal in population. Same thing happens on the city level for things like park board and city council wards. Uh, Also, I think school board is happening independently of this, but it often follows the the park board districts because they have the same number of of district based seats. School board That's does. correct. So, so they're not yes. they're not obligated to follow what happens with park board, but they often do. That's correct. Yep. Um, and in fact, they actually the school board has already decided to follow the park board districts, even though we don't know what those districts are yet. Um, so, so if you're if you're concerned about school district boundaries pay attention to what the charter commission uh redistricting group is doing with park board when you're offering your feedback consider what might happen with the schools so have i explained why this is happening yeah i think so yeah redistricting happens every 10 years um to ensure primarily that that um the various districts wards you know congressional districts, all of them remain roughly equal in population um, so that uh, people have uh, an equal voice in representation. Um, So right now, for instance, Ward 3 is about 30% plus over the ideal population. So they're um, essentially underrepresented um, because they should have like 1.3 1.3 council members, basically, based on that. Um, but that doesn't 
what's the ideal district size based on Minneapolis population right now? We have 13 yeah, wards. What, what's an, the ideal size? Let me see. So the Minneapolis population as of... 2020 census is I, I, I actually that was a rhetorical question because I have the answer I thought you would have it <laughs> so according to the, the tool that the Charter Commission's redistricting redistricting group is using it's 33,073 and right now oh, Ward yep, 3 right. is yep. 43,000 Ward 3 currently is 43,000 people so those 10,000 people need to be you know reapportioned out to different wards and it's having ripple effects across the city. Yes. And so, you know, ward one has gained a few neighborhoods. I, w- I wish I knew neighborhood names better. I don't know what these neighborhoods are. Do you know? Yeah, it's uh they moved Botno. Um, did they end up moving Sheridan to, and uh, let's see. I think so. Yeah. Sheridan. Yep. They moved Botno and Sheridan. And then, I think a little, is that a piece of Dinky Town that got cut, or Marcy Holmes that got shifted to Ward 2? Yep, they moved part of Marcy Holmes from Ward 3 to Ward 2. And Ward 6 has shifted a little bit, uh, getting like downtown east, where yep. the uh, football stadium is. Not that we need to go through all the changes, but... Uh, what they did to Ward 3 by shrinking Ward 3 has meant that other parts of the city are encroaching on downtown, basically. So what are, what are the criteria that the Charter Commission is using to uh, redraw these maps? So the, the big ones are, um, okay, so there need to be 13 wards and six park districts. That's set in the Charter. Um, they're... Uh, each ward or district must be within 5% of the ideal population, which as you just mentioned is 33,073. Um, well, that's that's for wards. For park districts, it's more than that because it's one-sixth of the total population of the city instead of one-thirteenth. Um, each ward or district must be contiguous, so there can't be um, like a segment of it that's not connected to the rest of the ward. That would be weird. That would be very weird. Um, every area of the city needs to be assigned to a ward in a park district, whether there's population in that ward or not, or in that area or not. Um, there's also a rule that the length of a ward or district must not be longer than twice its width. Um, that's not as straightforward as it seems because it depends on where you measure. Some of them are irregular shapes. Um, apparently you, you take the longest north south dimension and the longest east west dimension or some, or something like that. Um, Hmm. so that one gets a little complicated. Maps must comply with the voting rights act. Um, and in particular, there's portions of the voting rights act, which talk about minority groups, um, primarily in the basis of race to elect candidates of their choice. Um, that factor is definitely not straightforward because there's no hard and fast rule on on like what percentages are, are okay or not okay for that. Um, and then there are some other factors, which these are the, the various rules kind of say, like you follow these to the extent possible and they come into conflict a lot. So 
um, often some of these will need to be sacrificed to some extent in order to to um, bring forth others. Um, so wards and districts should be compact. So instead of like uh, you know long skinny wards, you want like square wards. Um, boundaries should follow the center lines of public ways. Um, so um, streets and other things that people can walk through um, or drive through. Um, boundaries should run primarily due north, south, or east, west. Uh, changes in existing boundaries should be minimized. Um, communities of interest should be kept together. That includes things like neighborhoods, but it also includes more um, things with, with less clear geographic boundaries. Um, the, the Somali community in Ward 6 is often discussed as a community of interest. Um, the University of Minnesota um, population is discussed as a community of interest sometimes, and that's not an exhaustive list. Those are just a few examples. Um, and then finally, um, one we've learned about recently is that uh, incumbent or newly elected officials should generally be kept within their current ward or district. Is that officially a criteria or just like a thing that Apparently, we've discovered? Um, it is. I mean, they're uh, using it. They're talking about it a lot. They are now. using it. On, we on, on Wednesday, they... A lot of them reacted very strongly against it. Uh, Barry Clegg used the words gerrymandering to talk yep. about uh, considering where Councilmember-elect Latricia Vita lives. Uh, they reacted strongly against it. And then they came back on Friday and decided, uh, you know, we found this case law where a three-judge panel used it to, to decide boundaries. And therefore, now we're just going to talk about it a whole lot for, for everyone. And now it's just... A big topic. So I'm curious, is 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 this? Uh, I mean, there, this is a list of things that they should be considering, and we've just added a new one to it, unofficially. Yeah, I, you know, I um, that case from what I could see, and and I'm not an attorney, but it did not really seem to be a ringing endorsement um, of of this being a major factor. Um, it kind of talked about. You know, there should not be great weight assigned to the residences of incumbents, but um, some consideration could be given to it and minor adjustments could be made. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, and it, it, it would seem to me, at least, that they are giving it quite a bit of weight and, and weighting it higher than a lot of the other factors. Um right. and we'll we'll see how that goes. I it's an interesting one. I, I see I certainly see the argument that we shouldn't be drawing districts in order to benefit any particular incumbent, um, in, in, including their own home address. On the other hand, um, it is true that it is very easy for people to get that information. So some members of the Charter Commission would have that information, um, even if others might not. Um, and once you, once you know it, it's hard to... Uh, it's very easy for people to make the case that you made a change in order to draw a member out of their district, even if that wasn't really the intent. Um, so it makes right. it easier for, for them to avoid some controversy, I think, if they just say, well, we're just going to keep everybody in their district rather than people asking us, why did you draw this incumbent out of their district and not this person? Big questions like that. 
Yeah, what happened on Wednesday is they accidentally drew Councilmember-elect Latricia Vita out of her Ward 4 district. And uh, Ellison, same thing happened to Councilmember Ellison in Ward 5. Yep. They both live kind of near the southern borders of their ward. And so it was fairly easy to draw them out of it. I think the a good argument against the maps that were drawn that 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 uh, excluded those council members out of their wards is just that uh, ward four and five basically didn't need to change. Correct. So, so they why 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 bother changing them? I don't think you even need to go to the argument. Well, you can't draw this council member out of their their ward. You could just say why have we? You could use the standard that you need to minimize change to to revert back to the original maps. Correct. And the minimum change argument was certainly brought up a lot in regard to those, um, especially for Ward 4, because Ward 4 is like spot on for the ideal population right now. It's off by like one right. person. Um, Ward 5 is not quite that close, but it is still within the 5% acceptable variation. Um, so you could leave their boundaries exactly as they are now. Um, my understanding was the argument for Ward, the changes to Ward 4, um, was that by making that change, they would unite all of the Willard Hay neighborhood in one ward. Um, and there were also some tweaks in the Jordan neighborhood on account of um, something about a community around a park in that area. Um, right, and they ended up they end up keeping that change. And the hilarious thing about the yeah. the concern about this park is that one of those blocks is like entirely commercial property, so it's like it's just a, like an Aldi. Like they made sure right. to move the Aldi from Ward Five to Ward Four, which I found amusing because I'm a huge Aldi fan. Right, congratulations, Ward Four. You got an Aldi, or you might if you show up to testify in support of that Aldi. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. I'm, I may be remembering this incorrectly, but I think the argument with the changes made to Ward 5 was that even though all of it was part of the Harrison neighborhood, there was a thought that the portions of Harrison south of, south of Glenwood were more similar to Bryn Mawr than they were to Harrison, right. um, and that uh, Glenwood was a, a natural um, boundary um, based on the public comments, it seemed that the people in the Harrison neighborhood did not agree with that characterization and felt that the portions of, of Harrison south of Glenwood were still very much a part of, of Harrison. Right. And then on next door, you had people in uh, Ward set, or maybe it was somebody in Harrison who was worried that what I forget the details now, but I think it was somebody in Ward 5 worried if you put them in Lisa Goodman's ward that your taxes would go up somehow because Ward Seven's fancy. I don't think property taxes work that way. I know you're not a property tax expert, but... I'm, I'm reasonably we, we, certain property taxes don't work that way. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, uh, redistricting is spawning a bunch of rumors. I think people are right to be concerned. Mm-hmm. but yep. uh, make sure you get your facts right before you, you develop all these theories about how your property taxes are going up because of redistricting. 
And yeah, I mean, it's an important process and people have strong opinions about it. Um, so we'll, we'll see how this plays out when we start to hear some of the, the commentary. I have very strong opinions. I don't know about you, but I have very strong opinions when I was seeing maps drawn that like split the wedge, my neighborhood into like three different wards. What was that person yeah. thinking? And it was like a jet ja- instead of using Hennepin Avenue, it was like a jagged block by block, uh, border. It was weird. Uh, not so not that I want to the- crap on this per the citizens, uh, submitted map, but I, I I get strong feelings when people want to change the borders of my geography. Yeah. And and I I believe the reasoning used by that person was that um, they felt that if both sides of Hennepin Avenue were in one ward, then that might incentivize the council member representing that area to um, uh, prioritize transit and other things like that to make things more livable for the people along that corridor. Um, as for the jagged blocks, that that may just be some of the limitations of districtor um, as to why that happened. Um, if you're going to move yeah, the wedge, I, just move the wedge entirely. Saddle Lisa sure. Goodman with the entire wedge. Like what we're coming for you, Lisa Goodman. Yeah, I, I people certainly have, have strong feelings, especially about the area in which they personally live. You know, I'm on um, I'm on the the Kingfield um, neighborhood board. Um, uh, I would, I would guess that we would have opinions if people tried to break Kingfield up into, into multiple words. Yeah. Yeah. And one, one of the debates that has come up a couple of times in watching the, the deliberations, uh, among the redistricting group is, you know, should, one of the suggestions was, should we have a, an entirely downtown ward right now? It's split up among like ward seven ward three is ward six has a piece there was an argument that we should have a downtown ward and then the arguments against that were no we should we should have multiple council members responsible for downtown so there's a debate over whether is downtown better represented if if one council member has an interest in downtown or is it better represented if three council members have an interest in downtown things like that right which uh i can see both sides of it you could you could say using that hennepin avenue example is is you know hennepin avenue through uptown the wedge better served because lisa goodman and aisha chugtai now have domain over it or would it be better served as if lisa goodman had you know, the entirety of that stretch of Hennepin Avenue. I know the answer to that question. I think it really depends on who you have elected. Like, I don't want Lisa Goodman to have an entire uh, Hennepin Avenue entirely under her control. I don't want that at all. Yeah. I I mean, certainly ultimately depends on who you elect. um, And that can be somewhat influenced by redistricting. Um, You know, uh, if you, if you have multiple council members representing downtown, um, that also means, as we see in the current map, that those council members also represent a lot of areas outside of downtown. Um, and all of those different factions need to compete right. to elect a council member. And, and maybe they'll elect a council member that represents the interests of downtown. Maybe they won't. Um, 
I guess I also I, I think there there may be different opinions on what what the interest of downtown means. Um, does it mean the residents of downtown? Does it mean the interest of the downtown council and the businesses in downtown, um, which I think is what you're getting at with as well? Yeah. It, it's something that comes up with some of the comments regarding Lisa Goodman in Ward 7 was basically downtown residents uh, have less of a voice because, you know, the the lakes area neighborhoods of Ward 7, Kenwood, East Isles, Lowry Hill, Sydna, basically overwhelm any votes that might come from downtown. And downtown is changing. It's added a yep. lot of white people, wealthier white people. So who even knows what the politics of downtown residents are anymore? Right. And uh, let's talk a little bit about communities of interest. I know. Mm-hmm. So there's talk about Ward 6 and how it's important not to break up the basically Somali East African ward that we have created there. It's, mm-hmm. it's very oddly shaped. And that's one of the things that comes up. There's There was talk about, well, we can't, the number of uh, majority minority wards was a phrase right. that got used a lot in, in discussions and trying to maintain that. I know there's a lot of, I've seen a lot of tweets talking about how people want to increase that. And so to do that, you'd have to, you'd have to go away from that minimum change standard. The maps that try to maximize the majority minority districts in Minneapolis end up creating a lot of change on the map that I think the redistricting group would probably shy away from. Uh, yeah, certainly, especially a lot of the charter commissioners seem to be very committed to the the minimum change criterion. Majority minority wards is becoming an interesting topic a lot. Um, so there are concerns in various ways with that. So you could... Um, so if you reduce the population, the minority population in a particular ward by too much, then that could reduce their ability to elect a council member of their choice in that ward. On the other hand, you also don't want to like pack all of the, um, them into as those voters into as few wards as possible, because then you're, although they'll definitely be able to elect council members of their choice in those wards, then their ability to elect council members in other wards is decreased. Um, and that's gotten into a lot of uh, the debate over the, the downtown East uh, change, for instance, because that um, slightly reduces um, the, the black population in Ward 6. Um, and is that a good thing or a bad thing? Do, do you want to... Uh, potentially spread some of those voters out to other wards and, and be able to um, increase their power there? Um, or does moving downtown east and a lot of those affluent white voters there decrease the potential to elect a, a council member um, in that area? Um, honestly, I don't know a lot about Ward 6. Uh, I don't have strong opinions on that, um, but I think those are interesting topics that will continue to be discussed. Yeah, there were some comments, and I don't know if these came in after Wednesday or before Wednesday. People saying, don't change Ward 6, don't change Ward 6. Ward 6 had uh, 
didn't have enough people in it, it kind of had to change. And, and I, I believe they came in after the draft map was adopted. So I think those comments we're saying don't change um, the boundaries of Ward 6 based on the draft map, not not based on the existing boundaries of Ward 6. Because you're right, the, the, the existing boundaries of Ward 6 had to change because they had to add more people to Ward 6. And they didn't take they didn't take neighborhoods away. They added some. They moved into Ward 2 a little, moved into downtown east. Have we covered everything? This is probably going to be a short episode, which is probably good. I don't think anyone wants to listen to uh, 90 minutes on redistricting. There's not that much to say, right? Down, we talked about downtown ward. Um, I know. I know one of the other big topics that has been discussed a lot is is uh, the importance of neighborhoods and splitting or not splitting neighborhoods. Um, I think there's general agreement that all other things being equal, it'd be best not to split neighborhoods. Um, but there's also, I mean, sometimes it's just there's no way around it. Um, but there's also uh sometimes the boundaries of neighborhoods don't always make sense um you know the neighborhoods were created somewhat arbitrarily um a few decades ago um maybe they made sense at the time maybe they didn't but you know there have been changes in the city since the 70s or 80s when when ncr and all of that was was a um a big issue um so it um or nrp that's what the, the acronym initials i was looking for um you know there's there are neighborhoods where there's like a major highway running through the neighborhood um so uh are all of those parts necessarily part of the same community of interest is uh, an interesting question um i know one i've been looking at is um in West McCoska in Ward 13, there's a section of the neighborhood that is like very isolated, both from the rest of the neighborhood and from the rest of the ward. Because um, there's like a railway running through it and there's trees on the other side of the railway. And there's no physical way to get to the rest of the neighborhood or the ward unless you kind of take a roundabout route. Whereas it's actually much easier to get to um Cedar Isles Dean, even though that's technically a separate neighborhood, because you just have to go across Lake there. Um, right. So there's some arguments about whether, uh, e- even though neighborhoods might make some sense to community of interest, they're not necessarily the end all be all for communities of interest. I, I favor trying to keep neighborhoods together, but I have a irrational fascination with neighborhood boundaries. Well, and and I will say for a lot of neighborhoods, it does make sense for for some for many neighborhoods, the the boundaries of the neighborhood yeah. are fairly logical. Um, they and often it is a cohesive community of interest. So I I would agree with the general proposition that most of the time it is good to keep neighborhoods together if possible. There were a couple of maps that like straddled thirty five, I thirty five. I'm like putting. I forget whether it was like putting Phillips in Ward 10. It was like, I think this was like a, maybe one of the work group members submitted the map. Like, what are you thinking? There's a big, you've, you've cut off part of this ward and isolated it beyond this interstate. Well, and there are some existing wards that are, do straddle 35 and will continue to straddle 35 in the proposed draft. Um, ward 8 and Ward 11 straddle 35. Right. 
what stood out as weird is like it was a little piece though it was like a little tiny piece those people are going to be so isolated from the rest <laughs> but uh yeah oh sure like not a whole neighborhood but just like a little chunk was on the other side of yeah that wouldn't make much sense yeah. i was hoping that we could unite the steven square loring heights neighborhood into the either into ward yeah, seven that's... or into ward six it bothers that me that been... that's split apart that one's been discussed a lot. Um, interestingly enough, I've heard some arguments that arguably it is in fact two separate neighborhoods, Stephen Square and Loring Heights. Um, so it, it may not necessarily make sense to, to combine them. Um, but yeah, that's certainly one that's been looked at, whether that should be split. It is interesting to look at which neighborhoods are split right now. And some of them they are fixing. Um, some of them were very easy fixes, like Field and Northrop. There was just like a really tiny section that was in a different ward, and those are, are being corrected in the new map. Yeah, Stephen Square Loring Heights has the same neighborhood organization. And so, for example, mm-hmm. yep. Lisa, Lisa Goodman has less incentive to cater to the needs of that neighborhood because only half of it is in her ward, and they don't vote very much. It's a high renter. Uh, high people of color ward. It's it's got low voter turnout, and so I don't know. But but again, I'm just have an irrational fascination with neighborhood boundaries. Also, Elliott Park is another example in Ward Seven. They don't split up Kenwood, for example. That one's not split up, but they do split up Elliott Park. They do split up Stephen Square, Loring Heights. So you're right. It is interesting who who gets split and who stays united with their neighborhood well if we do we have anything else to say about redistricting did i forget anything do you have any other questions for me here i don't i was going to move on to like plugging the idea that people should apply to the charter commission i'm going to try to do that regularly we can do that i didn't i didn't want to move on from redistricting if we still had like a big glaring thing to discuss i probably forgot some things there are probably some interesting things that happened that i forgot to talk about oh okay did I mention Andrew Kozak talking about how he's been involved in four of the last five redistricting processes? You did not mention that. I do remember him saying that. It's like, that's nothing to brag about, man. That's an indictment of the process that you have been involved for that many years, uh, which is a good segue into talking about how we need new blood on the Charter Commission. Would you agree with that statement? Uh, yeah, I would agree with that statement. Um, I think that it's important that people get involved in uh, the governance of the city in a lot of different ways, and that includes the Charter Commission. I think the Charter Commission has flown under the radar for a long time, and because of that, um, well, partly because of that, perhaps, a lot of people tend to get reappointed year after year um, because not a lot of other people have been interested. Um, I think that's starting to change. Uh, and I think it would be good to get a broader array of people on the Charter Commission, not um, it, both in terms of demographics and also in terms of getting a broader array of uh, opinions on the commission. Yeah, it, it seems like the the criteria that the judges have used, and it's a different judge every few years because the chief judge Hennepin County changes occasionally. It seems like the criteria they're using is you must be a lawyer. 
or you must be like heavily involved in neighborhood groups because that seems to be the type of person who who gets appointed have you seen a picture of the portland charter commission it will blow your mind i have not seen uh seen it no okay well i sent you a link look at that picture Yeah, that certainly does look different than our charter commission. Yeah, it looks like people you might run into on the street. Mm-hmm. You might you might ride a bus with these people. You might see them in the grocery store. Those are real people. Not not that older white people aren't real people. Uh but, you know, it's it's a cross section. And so I talked about it with uh, Jason Garcia how it's like it's astonishing. I'm so used to only one kind of person on a charter commission. You look at this port, this group of people in Portland. Uh, we we can do a lot better, and I have no idea what the, these people's opinions are. But I, I like I like watching this work group, and it's not even the most diverse work group uh, that it that it could have been. But it's like people are disagreeing. People have new ideas. <clears throat> it, it feels a lot a lot more satisfying to watch. And I feel better about the process because not everyone is is in lockstep there, agreeing with uh, Barry Clegg. Well, it, the, the Charter Commission itself does not always agree on everything, um, but certainly there are some things where um, they are unanimous, which I think does not reflect um, the opinion within the city at large. Question one. How about question one? They gave that to us unanimously, didn't they? That was exactly the example I was thinking of. Um, they did unanimously propose question one. Um, and, uh, you know, they they have patted themselves on the back about the fact that that was adopted. Um, haven't really talked about the fact that it was adopted with a vote of 52%, um, which, yeah. you know, that's, that's fine. That's democracy. But also... Um, should we perhaps have a charter commission that is more reflective of the the opinions of the city on that issue? No, nobody on the charter commission stood up to say, maybe this is a bad idea. It's very disconcerting. Should, should we talk about uh strong mayor? Do you have feelings about strong mayor? I don't like that it passed. Uh, yeah, I do have feelings about strong mayor. I think we talked about strong mayor a little bit before. Um, I'm, I'm not a fan of it. Um, if we were to adopt some sort of clarifying structure for uh, Minneapolis, I would have preferred a city manager system. Um, uh, and I was opposed to to strong mayor, um, even compared to our, our current our system. But um, people have spoken, it has passed. And uh, as of December 3rd, um, we, we will have a strong mayor. We're stuck with it. Now, now there's talk about will we even have committees next year, which I think is a ridiculous. Thing. That's a pretty baffling idea to me that that was raised. Like you, you, if you're going to have even with this idea that we have this executive mayor and legislative council, legislative bodies still need committees to be able to focus their work. The council still needs to perform its legislative role. Um, so right. the fact that that was raised definitely makes me wonder um, if some of the people who talked about a strong mayor and a strong council um, 
were not being entirely forthright there, and in fact, this was a prelude to uh, further attempts to weaken the council. We should do anonymous interviews with department heads if they feel like it's too much of an inconvenience to come present to committees. Maybe we shouldn't have committees anymore and make their job easier. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Um, ultimately, the council is in control of its committee structure. That's not something that the Charter Amendment affects. True. So that will be up to the new council to determine, and especially whoever gets elected as council president. Another thing I've been thinking about is council needs staff. It's... It's a disaster to have the mayor in control of the staff who enables this council to do their legislative function. That's not good. Uh, it gives the mayor the power to weaponize staff and, uh, you know, use it against and, the council. And in order, in order to fund that staff, it has to be in the budget. And so if the mayor sets a budget amount that doesn't include that, and then the BET sets that maximum levy, you're, the council is in a, a hard spot trying to fund their own staff, but do it in a way that takes away from funding for other programs and departments. It, it's a difficult position to be in if you have a mayor who's hostile to council power. And I hope there are members of the new council, including ones that I disagree with, right. who want to protect their institutional power and stand up to this mayor and say the count, the city council matters and we're not just going to defer to you on these things. We're going to fund our own staff and we're going to protect our power here. But I don't, I don't know how optimistic I should be about that. And the amendment does in fact call for um, an independent legislative staff um, in the city clerk's office. Um, but the actual funding mechanisms for that, yes, you're, you're correct, would still go through the budget process, and that may be um, an interesting process. Um, so if people really want to ensure that there is a legislative staff, then they'll have to speak at budget hearings about that. But I uh, imagine that might get drowned out by, by other concerns. So did we put in our pitch for people? I know we talked about the Portland Charter Commission, but... Uh... David Brower was talking about on Twitter how 10 of the 15 seats uh, on the Charter Commission are yep. up in 2022. You yep. need to remind people to keep their eyes out for when this application period opens. Mm -hmm. uh, I want to unofficially say, just write a letter to this judge, even if you're not applying, say, hey, be polite. Judge right. Todrick Barnett, I think is his name. You need to start considering some new kinds of people. Let's have a youth movement on the Charter Commission. Let's not go all for lawyers. Let's take a look at, you know, Andrew Kozak, who's been a part of this process for decades, who's a lobbyist. Maybe don't put any lobbyists on the Charter Commission. And uh, even if Andy Kozak is a good person, I don't like the fact that he's a lobbyist. That gives the appearance that uh, shady things are happening. And he's been around forever. Let's go a new direction. Also, uh, Dan Cohen doesn't seem to realize when Clegg agrees with him. Did you, did you see that? I, they spent I, like five minutes yep. trying to explain to Commissioner Cohen that they agree, and he still voted against the thing. Let's put some people on the commission who actually know what's happening. And basically, that's my pitch for apply to be on the Charter Commission at every opportunity. Apply to be on the Charter Commission. It's important. It's time that we started paying attention to it.
Yeah, I completely agree with that. I, I think if, you know, if uh, in any way, like discussing the rules of the city is something that interests you, um, you should apply to be in the Charter Commission when uh, the openings present themselves. Um, you know, uh, and uh, I, I, full disclosure, I will be applying to, again to uh, be on the Charter Commission. Ooh. So we'll see what happens with that. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm endorsing your campaign. Josh Martin for Charter <laughs> well, Commission 2022. Campaign, I don't know about that, but... <laughs> Uh, write write letters to Todrick Barnett. Uh, maybe don't no, do that. Don't, I don't know. Don't, that, do, don't do that. that. Prob- don't mention Josh Martin in your letters to Todrick Barnett. Don't do that. Um, there's something I was going to say. It has a lot of power. Like the strong mayor thing entirely came from the Charter Commission. They didn't have to collect signatures. Yeah. The commission just decided we're going to put this thing on the ballot. So in addition to redistricting, which happens ten years and is going to last for a couple of months, it'll be over by the time we get some new commissioners. They can just put stuff on the ballot to be Correct. ratified by voters and change the charter. That's a lot of power. And we have outsourced it to, uh, you know, just one kind of perspective in the city. Yeah, it is. It is easier for the char- charter commission to put things in the ballot than it is for um ordinary residents because they need to gather signatures and it's also easier for the charter commission to put things on the ballot than our elected officials um, because they need to run the gauntlet of charter commission review um, whereas the charter commission right. does not need signatures they do not need review by any other party they just vote to put things on the ballot i think there was one other thing i wanted to talk about but i forget what it was oh even your elections. Yes. Did you see that? I did see that. Barry so bringing uh, it back. Barry Clegg is bringing back a proposal for even year elections. Um, this was discussed by the Charter Commission a while back, but at the time, uh, the understanding was that you could not. It, it just was not possible with the the county software to have. Um, ranked choice voting elections and non-ranked choice voting elections on the ballot, on the same ballot. Um, according to Chair Clegg, that issue has been resolved. Um, so, and now they're, they have referred it to their standing amendment review committee for further study. Um, I haven't seen anything on the calendar yet for any any meetings of that committee yet, but I'll, I'll keep an eye out and see what, what happens with that amendment. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm should link to uh, Josh Martin. Are, are you getting more followers, Josh? I know you started from a very low follower count. Or how how are we doing? Because uh, you put out good information. You deserve to have followers. Uh, I am at. Let's see. Uh, I'm at over three hundred now. It's about three twenty okay, three twenty nine. That's respectable. It wasn't that long ago. You had basically none, right? I I started pretty much from zero, yeah, and uh, I started gaining more traction during the election. I thought it would slow down after that, but I actually picked up quite a few people after the election due to, um, I don't know, some of my redistricting coverage or some of my like post-election results coverage or whatever it might be. You know, but, it was. It was your appearance on the Wedge Live podcast. Well, that very well could be, yeah. So how do you feel about even your elections? I, I have mixed feelings. I should be unabashedly pro even your elections because it lines up the city elections, which happen in odd years with, right. you know, uh, state level and federal level races. 
and high turnout is just it's good no no question about it high higher turnout is better than lower turnout but there's a down potential downside in that city elections will just get the short end of the stick in terms of like people even knowing who the candidates are you have to share attention with these higher profile races will people know who the candidates are does city council become the new BET in terms of getting ignored people just not even bothering to vote for it because they don't know what it is. So how do you feel? So I, I am supportive of even your elections. Um, I'm withholding final judgment until I hear some of the hearings and particularly that I get confirmation that this these technical issues have been resolved. Um, but generally I am supportive of them because um, as you mentioned, higher turnout um, I do think it would be nice uh, also uh, for people to have a break from elections once in a while. Um, and I, I do hear the concern about um, the potentially being drawn out by higher profile races. I'm not sure that we really solve that issue by moving them to odd years, because then what happens is then a lot of people just aren't aware that there's an election at all. And that's not... Right really helping resolve that problem. If it's in a year where people are at least more aware that an election is going on, then maybe they see these other candidates on their ballot and they're like, oh, what's that? And then they look into it a little bit more um, and then they they might end up voting. So I I still think that um, overall it might be be good for that. The only downside I can think of for even your elections is not so much in terms of the attention of voters, but for campaigns and trying to compete for resources and staff and volunteers with more high profile campaigns. Um, But I think that the other the other factors in its favor outweigh that concern and that I think that campaigns will adapt and find ways to address that. That's true because there are a lot of people I know who just get involved in, depending on the year they're, they're involved in city elections one year, they're doing some state legislative work another year. A lot of people go year to year and they won't have that kind of time to offer if everything is happening all at once. Yep. That's a good point. Can you imagine electing the mayor in the same year as a president, for example? That would be interesting. We'll see whether they decide to sync it up with presidential elections or uh, midterms. And then we have the question of, so we're doing city council again in 23. The mayor won't be up again until 25. City council is also up in 25. So when potentially are they going to do the even year? Like, would it be in 26? We, that's a rapid fire series of elections we would have. So to me, what would make the most sense is that they would, they would, do, they would start the even year elections in 26. They would extend the terms of mayor, BET, park board, uh, uh, and park board to basically be a five-year term for the people who were elected in 21. And then the council members who were elected in who are elected in 23 would be extended to a three-year term. Um, so it'd still be a short term for them, but not as short. Um, I think that transition would make the most sense because if you try doing it another way, you either end up with some really long terms or some really short terms. 
So you mean retro? Can you retroactively extend the mayor's term that he was elected for? Yeah, absolutely. They're bending the charter. There's no reason why not. Oh, I didn't realize that. So you could potentially make Mayor Fry mayor for life? Is that possible? (laughs) Well, I don't know about that. That might be a bit of a stretch. Um, But it's certainly plausible that if they they change it, so if they change the... Uh, a lot, the when elections happen, they are in some way going to need to resolve that transition, and they could do that by shortening terms or by lengthening terms. I think lengthening terms slightly would probably make more sense than having like an extra, like yeah, if you did like twenty six a two year election, and then I don't know, it would get weird. I think if you tried to do tried to do um, shorter terms. I just assumed that when you were elected to, using Mayor Fry, for example, elected Mm -hmm. this year, I assumed he was elected to a four-year term, and uh, that's that's just how it is. He was elected to a four-year term. I didn't realize you could... feels almost like changing the result of an election to modify the length of the term. Well, so, okay, so if you... If they adopt this, even your amendment, like how would you propose doing it instead? Then, so I, I only have questions on like, is it? Po- it's surprising to me that it's even possible to do that. I, uh, but I was assuming, I was assuming that twenty five, the twenty five election, we have to elect a new mayor because Jacob Fry has a four year term, and that's just immu- an immutable fact. Right, but if the twenty twenty five election doesn't exist anymore. Because we've switched right. to even year term to even year elections, then the next election would be in 2026. I, mean, I, I assumed the way that it would happen is that we would change it and set the 25 election to a one year term, which is ridiculous. But <laughs> I assumed in 25 we'd be electing people to one year terms to try to sync it up in 26. And that would be one way to do it. Um, but I would not recommend doing it that way. You're recommending the change the charter to make Jacob mayor our indefinite mayor forever. No, or no, just five just, years just, and so forth. I, <laughs> I I would begrudgingly give um, our incumbent mayor one extra year um, because I I think that would be the most logical way to do the amendment, and I think that would cause less problems for for the elections. Um, so I think that outweighs my, my personal feelings about our mayor. You could also push it out to 28 and say that 25 is a three-year term, but then you're syncing up with presidential. Um, yeah. So that would be, that would be another option. And I think that would be a little more logical than, than the one-year term. So yeah, you could do, you could still have an odd year election in 25 and then the even year elections would start in 28 council members would be elected to a three-year term instead of two and then all the other offices would be elected to a th- three-year term instead of four that would be the other way to do the it the idea the idea of retroactively changing the length of a elected official's term is fascinating to me it's just another example of the massive power that our charter commission has of course it would have to go on the ballot for uh, voters it would have to, to go approve. on the ballot yep but uh, very interesting have we come to the end, Josh Martin? I, I think we definitely have covered everything at this point. We ended, ended okay. up going 60 minutes. I didn't think we should have gone 60 minutes, but we did anyway. Talking about redistricting and the Charter Commission, 
I'll put in another plug for people applying to the Charter Commission. Please do it. Yep. <clears throat> Whenever you see that uh, opportunity arise, apply to the Charter Commission. Wherever you live, even if you don't live in Minneapolis and you happen to be listening to this, apply to your Charter Commission. Oh, sure. If you live in some other charter city, apply to your own Charter Commission. Yep. Yeah, St. Paul. They have a Charter Commission, right? Correct. Yep. All, all charter cities in Minnesota have a Charter Commission. They are required to by law. Apparently, Portland, Oregon also has a charter commission that's much more diverse and young and uh, gives me warm feelings to look at this picture of real people who I might actually see on, on the street in my neighborhood. But, uh, that's all we'll end the show. Thank you for joining me, Josh Martin, for this discussion. Uh, I'm your host, John Edwards. This has been the Wedge Live Podcast. <laughs> This is a real, real thing. Real, 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 real thing. None of you have the balls to stop. Stop this. We're in the wedge neighborhood right now, 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 right now.